Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here as always, delighted to have you listening to this show. We have a U.S. Open recap with former top five player and TC analyst Jimmy Arias. He called the Medvedev-Jokovic match and he has some great thoughts on why. Medvedev was able to win his first major. What happened to Djokovic that left him struggling out there? He goes 27-1 and in Grand Slam matches this year, one match short of winning all four slams in the same calendar year. And we also break down the women's game, Radikanyi over Fernandez for her first title, first major title, coming all the way through qualifying to get it done. Jimmy has some great thoughts on Jensen Brooksby as well that you're not going to want to miss. And then it's a little bonus content here. I talked to Connor Pardo. He's the commissioner of the Pro Pickleball Association. We just had the event on Tennis Channel from Orlando. And Connor is very gracious with his time explaining how pickleball has become such a phenomenon, where it goes from here, and how bright the future looks. And trust me, it is very bright. It's Connor Pardo and Jimmy Arias on Tennis Channel Inside In. Let's start the show. Right now joining us on Tennis Channel Inside In, member of the TC family, former top five player, and uh, the guy I think with the best stories in the tennis land, it's Jimmy Arias now on the line. Jimmy, thank you for joining the show. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Well, we're on the heels of a U.S. Open that was historic for many reasons. Uh, a lot to uh, digest and dissect from that final weekend to extraordinary storylines coming to fruition there. Uh, but right off the bat, being on site, Jimmy, uh, being there and, and calling matches, the return of fans, the return of uh, normalcy in a lot of ways to the tennis world. What was your thoughts on just the whole two-week uh, experience, the quality of play, the environment, what you saw, and uh, if it did live up to the hype? Uh, I think it did live up to the hype, probably because going into the tournament, there was no hype. You were sort of thinking about who's not there in a lot of ways, no Federer, no Nadal, no Serena. And as the tournament went on and there were so many like ridiculously good, tight, close matches, well-played matches, dramatic moments, youngsters coming out of nowhere. I mean, a qualifier winning the U.S. Open is not possible really yeah. ever before. Um, so there were a lot of, a lot of sort of first times and obviously you have the history making attempt from Djokovic and to me for the entire tournament he was struggling um you can see he's got a pretty obvious tell when he's tight and that is he loses balance and throughout from the first round all the way through you saw a lot of times where he'd sort of be bending over at the waist after a shot and flailing about and he only does that when he's very nervous so throughout this entire tournament he was never actually quite Novak Djokovic and I guess that gives you some insight how good he is because he still made the finals yeah, that, that's a good way to segue into the final where Djokovic finishes the Grand Slam season 27-1, and loses his last match, his chance at the calendar slam, went up in flames against Medvedev, who wins his first major in straight sets. I, I like that angle, though, and I like that perspective that we haven't really seen. Uh, a lot of people talk about, Jimmy, that you brought up, the sense that you know he's great and he was able to get to the final based on will and guts and not being at his best, but... There was a side that everyone was saying, well, it's Novak Djokovic. He can drop the first set and be fine. We're also just not used to him being in positions of struggling in those moments. And that final, it was right from the get-go, broke early, never got his rhythm. Again, credit to Medvedev. But it was as thoroughly beaten as I've seen him in any tournament in recent memory. Yes, but it was it was very interesting. I'll give you my take on what happened at the end because I, I feel like I'm pretty sure I'm right. Mm-hmm. But he didn't say anything like this, but I, I don't think he wants to admit what I'm about to tell you. But this is what I think happened. His emotions, it was too much for him, obviously. You could see by the way he played. He, his ball had less on it. He, he was panicky throughout. He never felt or looked comfortable or looked himself. He didn't even, he, he was collapsing on himself. And what I mean by that is you didn't see him 
sort of talking to his camp. He was, as the match was going on, it was like little less and less emotion and just more, I don't know, couldn't really play at the level that he's accustomed to playing. And I think the way the second set ended, if you remember, Medvedev hit one of the worst drop shots I've ever seen and came in. And Djokovic ran in with an easy, as easy a two in a backhand. He couldn't miss that in his in his sleep, and missed it badly. Yeah. And I think that shot, getting down two sets to love, missing the shot he missed with all the emotions, he actually just snapped at that moment and capitulated. I'm done. Yeah. He was done. He was he wasn't going to be able to compete anymore. Obviously, he didn't do it like Kyrgios does, it where it's completely obvious. But he he had capitulated. He today's not my day. Emotionally, I can't handle this, so I'm done. Gets down four love. You know, wins a couple of games because you win a couple of games on your serve after you're already down two breaks. But then the way Joke, I'm sorry, the way Medvedev served it out with, you know, match point double double and a horrible forehand in the middle of the net. Yeah. And then Djokovic holds for five four, and the crowd starts cheering, wanting him to come back. The reason he was bawling his eyes out, in my opinion, is because he realized at that moment, had I just been able to to continue fighting, Med, Medvedev was going to choke. I was always going to win in the end anyway. I was always going to find a way to win. But I gave him two, two breaks. Like, it's too much. Yeah. And um, that's why I think at least part of it was, was that, that he sort of – made the realization, holy crap, this guy was going to get tight. He wasn't going to be able to finish me. And I don't think he would have been able mm-hmm. to had, had he not had the double break. Mm-hmm. He did play. i got to give Medvedev credit. Yeah. The first two points of that 5-4 game, after having choked like he did, those were two of the best points. Because I think Djokovic realized also, you know, I'm, I'm only down one break. I still can win. And he played two great points, but Medvedev was up to it. Um, for those two points, at least. So I think that sort of broke Djokovic's will again after playing two great points and <laughs> yeah. didn't win either of them. The start of that second set, too, he was down. Medvedev was down low 40, and Djokovic not converting the break there. I think it was the second game of the second set. You're right. That did. Uh, you're right. And it was a bad, there was a bad mm-hmm. shot, a really bad shot at 40 love. And then I remember mentioning that shot, but yeah. saying something to Mary like, you've got to take advantage of that ball because you don't know when. Medvedev's going to hit two bombs, and sure enough, he hit two bombs the next two yeah. points, and actually got out of the game. So now, t- until the end of the until the end of it, when Medvedev clearly got tight and was choking, as we said, do you think that he picked up on Djokovic not being at his high level, um, maybe the pressure, whatever it was at the moment? Do you think Medvedev on the other side of the net adjusted his game plan a little bit, or just stayed the course and no, tried to block I it think, up? No, I think he stayed the course. I think. Medvedev was nervous too. He was making a few errors that you don't always see him making, but I think he also went in with the attitude of I'm going to play pretty aggressively. So he was sort of hitting a little bit harder from the back than I'm accustomed to seeing him. And part of that might've been Djokovic was fault, didn't have as much on it as normal, but he was also going two big serves for a lot of that match right from the start, not just when he got nervous at the end, but really the whole match, he didn't hit that many sort of just, fluffy second serves that occasionally Medvedev does in regular matches. Maybe he thought if he does that to Djokovic, it's, it's going to get munched. So it's, it did in Australia. Um, I mean, it, it did in Australia when that, when that, you know, was kind of what he did yeah. there. Um, I, I liked your line also there where you said, don't try to copy these strokes. You might get injured if you do watching Medvedev hit winners. <laughs> yeah. I, know, I mean, it's crazy. It's don't. Yeah, exactly. No one try to follow that, that style. It's his own. He does it really well. I don't know how the ball goes in, but it does. I got to give him credit. As far as um, Med- he's an incredible athlete too. I yeah. mean, he runs unbelievably oh, well, yeah. and no way to get the ball by him. And I can't believe the returns he's able to hit from from out of nowhere. Having said that, serve and volley did work for Djokovic. I don't know why more players that aren't at Medvedev's level when they play him, they're going to lose from the baseline once you're starting the point. Mm-hmm. So why are they not serving and volleying out wide? You saw it working with Djokovic even when he was, he was struggling to play. He still won a lot of service games just with that play. Yeah, he certainly did. Uh, as far as Medvedev goes now, this was really the last piece to becoming that true superstar. He has multiple Masters title. He's been ranked in the top two, uh, has the year-end championships, now has that title. And, and I'm going to ask you this, as far as 
what we're looking at in the the landscape of men's tennis. Are are we going to look back, Jimmy? Do you think is like the damn opening here? Like this is our second guy born in the '90s to win a Grand Slam. Is this obviously we think Djokovic is going to be a contender in many more slams, but is this going to be one of those watershed moments? Um, I think it could be. Yes, I do think you know the big three are fraying. Obviously, seriously fraying. I'm not sure with Federer, another knee surgery, another. I mean, at some point he's going to not be able to play anymore. It's certainly not at the level. So. And Nadal with his foot, that's disturbing. And it's, it's gone on for a long time. And you get a sense that he's near the end. And, you know, the way Djokovic played here, maybe the, from history or whatever it is, he's fraying a little bit. He's a little more vulnerable than he has been. And the younger guys are getting better. They're getting closer. I mean, to me, Zverev, I said it in the semifinals, Zverev against, against Djokovic that, He's the one guy, Zverev, to me, that if Djokovic plays well and Zverev plays, they both play near the top of their level, I still think Zverev has a chance. Mm. The problem for Zverev is when he gets nervous, his second serve and his forehand aren't what they are at his top level. But when he's playing at his top level, the guy doesn't really have a weakness. He's kind of a taller, longer version of Djokovic in some ways. He can move so well it's so difficult to ace him he makes returns fairly aggressively serving 137 miles an hour instead of 125 miles an hour like Djokovic he does everything really well it's just his forehand and his second serve under pressure can break and you could see it in that match in the semis he'd win the first set and then get a little tight and those things would fall apart and you know win another set and then fifth set same thing so if he can get control of his mind and maybe he just needs one major maybe that'll be it he'll have gotten to that sort of place where he's believing and you know and then there, there's a there's a bunch of players now i think it's it's getting to the point i think jensen brooksby is going to be winning majors you know next time he plays one wow so that, Great, that whoa. player i'm not going that far <laughs> I'm, yeah i i think we're all also just a little like whenever we hear a major prediction we just haven't seen many players win majors in the last couple of decades so that's going to catch yeah, no, everybody actually, by guard, but that, I do want to hear what you have to say about now. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little, but he has. I mean, look, he pushed Joker to the limit, and I know you were at you were watching the match courtside when he played Djokovic. What was your thoughts yeah. on that battle and the fact that Brooksby, who's come onto the scene recently, was going shot for shot with the best player that's arguably played the game? So I wanted to get a closer look because when I'm commentating and you're in the you're so high up. And sometimes I'm calling the matches just off a monitor and not actually seeing the court. That also happens. So I hadn't really seen Brooksby in person right by the court. So when he played Djokovic, I wasn't calling that match. I went to the court. I sat in the photographer's pit, which is, you know, I can touch the court. I'm right there. And I realized a couple of things why he's so good. Number one, he... Is it doesn't matter what ball you hit to him, no matter how hard, hard, deep, how many different spins, how many different heights, he seems so relaxed and calm and still inside. He's just going to rally back, and he's going to rally with not a ton of pace, but pretty good depth. So it's not easy to do so much with those shots, combined with the fact that he knows where you're hitting it before you do seemingly. So there were a few drop shots that Djokovic hit that I didn't, I would have been backing up because he'd, he'd been pushed back and hit a short ball and Djokovic looked like he was going to hit a two handed backhand, but then let go at the last second to hit the drop shot. But Brooksby wasn't fooled. He'd started running before the drop shot every time. He seemed to just have this sense of where Djokovic was going to hit every ball. And the third thing that's remarkable about him is, he will hit a ball down the line off a shot that you're not supposed to hit down the line on. It's too tough of a ball to go down the line and change direction. And that's how he sort of wins points mm. is he'll change direction when no one else does on that ball. And it catches players by surprise. And I don't think Djokovic, the way he was playing the whole tournament, would have beaten Brooksby had Brooksby not had the three matches that he played Whoa. leading up to Djokovic, where he was exhausted already. Middle of the first set, he already he's killing Djokovic at this point. And he had a move where he ran for a ball, and he kind of put his hand way up by his left, 
butt cheek, you know, high in the hamstring area. Um, and I noticed that it was taped and that seemed, he was not at a hundred percent Brooksby. And he's the kind of guy you could also see that he, it's almost like he doesn't know that there's people watching. He doesn't know who Novak Djokovic is. He's never heard of him. He's just playing. He's He's just playing his game. He doesn't know what's going on other than I just, I'm rallying. I'm going to do my thing. And I don't think that would have changed. He won the first set without any, nothing. Mm. Never looked like he was, you know, flummoxed by it in any way. And, you know, the first couple of games of that second set, if you remember, they had like a 30-minute game seemingly at one point. Um, and that was slowly taking the starch, any starch that Brooksby had left in his body and his legs, they were gone at, at that point. So, yeah, Djokovic in the end looked like he crushed him. But the way Djokovic, as nervous as he was, yeah. and as calm as Brooksby is and sort of, I don't want to say confident, but I guess it's confident. It, it's just, it, it would, looks to me like he doesn't know who. It's, any, um, like, it's, it's almost like he's irreverent. Like he just, he's confident yeah. in his abilities. It's no slight on the other person, but he's like, it could be, you know, it could be anybody yeah. over there. It's uh, like he's playing at the public park in practice, I, and it doesn't matter who I, is there. Obviously, I, I take your words very seriously. My my slight pushback would be, and, and you do bring up a good point, he played 11 hours and 56 minutes on court in those three matches before that. So yeah. that is a long time to be playing. Do Until they do it, right, until they beat Djokovic in a five-set match or one of these big three, it's almost like I have to see it to believe it, that in a fifth set, in a fifth-set tiebreaker, can he actually do it? You might be very well right, and I think that the ceiling for this guy is very high. Maybe not majors, but very close of course, well, he I'm, needs to serve. To serve. That's exactly what serve. I was going to say. And that's where yeah. it has to improve. Uh, clearly, I think everybody knows that. But if the serve improves, I mean, it sounds like it's very, you know, it might not be the It's not going to be the best in the game, obviously, but it can be improved upon. Then you really do have to well, raise the goalposts a little bit. Well, then he's not going to be as exhausted in the fourth mm-hmm. round. It won't take him 11 hours to finish <laughs> matches. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the problem is he's got to play every point, and he doesn't have that sort of first strike winner ability he's 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 maneuvering and he's moving and he's playing long points and he's you know you don't want to play him in one match you don't want to play him first round i can guarantee you that no um and three out of five sets because he's gonna he's gonna hurt you too physically you know even if but he's got to find a way to get a little bit um if he gets a serve he'll have easier matches and that will help him really and he's six four i mean He's got to be able to develop something, doesn't he? Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Jimmy Arias here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Let's take a look at the uh, the women's side of the U.S. Open. Uh, Emma Raducanu wins an all-teenage final over Leila Fernandez in straight sets. Her first major, we talked about how improbable this is. I'll just read some info and you can digest it there, Jimmy. Uh, number 31 in the qualifying, her second slam ever. She wasn't even in the top 10 of the British singles going into uh, Wimbledon time. And uh, here she is winning her first major. Everything about this seems like it's a Cinderella story, except for the fact that she didn't lose a set and basically had it on autopilot for a lot of this tournament. Uh, Emma Raducanu's arrival is one of the most impressive, improbable things I've ever seen in tennis. I'll just start there. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, had she played how many tour level events? I think four, I think four tour level events. I mean, she basically hasn't played before, so this doesn't, it's just, it's sort of not possible, almost, what happened. Uh, I went, ironically, I, I also um, commentated the qualies, and I went to sit and watch her match, because I knew she had made fourth round of Wimbledon, and they were making a big deal, so I wanted to see what the fire was about, but I only saw two games, and it was first or second round qualies, she actually got stretch to seven five at the point when I was watching, she got broken and the girl held, I saw two games and they were probably the two worst games she played all tournament. And I walked away thinking, eh, yeah, 
nothing special. Doesn't have huge weapons or anything. <laughs> and then, um, you know, 12 sets later, whatever it was, she's, she's won the title without, without it having any real trouble. And I was amazed watching the only other match I watched of hers really where I, where I watched for much of it was the final. And I cannot believe how well she moves and how good sort of her base is. And by that, I mean her, her legs when she's, she's so stable. So it doesn't matter what pace you hit to her, she's going to stay balanced. And she was getting a lot of good. She takes the ball very early, as does Layla Fernandez. Both of them are trying to control sort of that yeah. center of the court thing. And she was just bigger, faster, stronger than Fernandez, really. that was She was just a slight better athlete. So they both do a similar thing, and she was just a little better at it. I think playing on those courts were quick. I got to hit on them a couple of times. They were quick. The ball would skid. And I think both of those players sort of – might not be able to produce as much racket head speed or as much power on their own individual shots, but they use the speed of the court and taking time away by taking it early and Radakanu by being so balanced. I mean, she's, and she serves reasonably well. I, I'll be surprised if she doesn't win a good amount of, yeah. you know, of majors over the years, especially on the quicker courts. Yeah, that was the first time a qualifier had won uh, the U.S. Open here. Uh, you mentioned it. Her base is stable. She's a heck of an athlete. Was strong on both sides. There was also a part in a couple of her matches, I noticed, because she was starting these matches amazingly. It would be essentially 3-11, a lot of them to get going. But there was almost like a calibration period where she just figured out, because they probably, you know, she hasn't played anybody before, what the opponent was happening. I know Shelby Rogers was up 2-love, and then it ended up like 6-2, 6-love, or something like that. I just, I feel two like and one, yeah. two and one. I mean, that the, the, the crazy thing about Emma was that she is was cerebral out there. And uh, no, I, I don't think it's the end for her. I mean, it's easy to say when you're a teenager and you win your, your first major and your first try here, but um, the sky is the limit for her. Just on, on Leo Fernandez too, Jimmy, I was watching a lot of her matches and just an unbelievable run to get to the final, going through Osaka, Kerber, Svitolina, Sabalenka, just to get to the final. The word I kept coming back to was relentless. I mean, it was... She has weapons, and she was able to, to show them, but she played a lot of physical matches. She kept running. She she played to the crowd, which everybody loves, but she's just a relentless player out there and still young herself. We hope to see more of her in this event and beyond. Well, the one thing that she impressed me the most with, because I think it's also the most important thing, to becoming a great player. There's a lot of players that hit the ball pretty well, and there's very small margins that make a difference, and it's mostly mental once you get to that sort of top level. And I loved her answer, and she was also not lying about it um, because of the way she served the match out, and that was against Osaka. After the Osaka match, they asked her, when did you think you had a chance? And she said, well, before we walked on the court. And mm. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can giggle yeah. if she had gotten tight, but she, she, the way she served out that match, 5-4 in the third, held at love, hit a great drop shot at 30 love after she showed you that she thought before the match she was going to win because if you didn't think that you'd be tight at that moment and she showed zero nerves so that to me she's got you know 99 percent of the battle won that she has that sort of belief and in herself and it i mean Correct me if I'm wrong. She hadn't been playing that well coming into the event, but really, so no, it's sort of amazing that no. she had that confidence. She won uh, the tournament in Mexico, and then for I think the next like seven or eight events, it was either first or second round exits. Maybe there was That's, one where she was, but most of them were out in the first or second round. So yeah, a final that nobody saw coming. <laughs> yeah, that makes it sort of strange that she <laughs> thought going into the Osaka match because that's when it really started. I know they already won a few matches but that was the one that was like the first stunner um and she went out that and went out there saying i yeah i knew i was gonna win and proved it by the way she served it out well it was a remarkable final uh props again to both these teenagers emma radicanya winning her first major and uh jimmy i'll leave you with this on the women's side another year four four major champions again on the women's game osaka krychikova Barty, and radicanya so we saw a couple new faces in there, and we saw two, the two top players or have been for the last couple of years. But uh, yet again, it's more uh, parity at the top of who's winning these majors in the women's game. 
Um, yes, it's it's who knows every tournament, and I think the men are going to go through that transition here in the next year or two, where you're going to see a similar scenario play out until someone steps up and really starts to take over. You know, don't know when that's going to happen on the women's side either. It just seems like week to week, you don't know which one's going to get. That just shows you how small the margins are. It does. It yeah. does. Uh, Krejcikova, uh, who won the French Open, has kept it going and is still playing well. And I don't, that'll segue into the last thing I wanted to ask you, Jimmy Arias, here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Do you have any, uh, I guess, strong opinion on the medical timeout slash bathroom break incident that in, or issue that's been raging online, in person, on television shows, sits upon at the forefront? Do you think there's something that should be done or, or can be done to uh, just calm everybody down and remedy this situation? I think so. I think there needs to be a sort of a time limit in the bathroom, first of all. And obviously, you shouldn't be able to take your whole bag in where there's a possibility your phone is in the bag and all that sort of stuff. You can take your shirt and your clothes and walk in, but there has to be sort of a... Because you can't be taken 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. That just changes the flow of the match. And there's no way if the bathroom is 30 seconds away that you should be taking 10 minutes to get ready it has to be something that goes a little quicker so I feel like you have to take into account a little bit how far the bathroom is so if you're on court 17 and you can't get anywhere for five minutes then you you get 12 minutes you know you're yeah. five minutes there two minutes and then five minutes back if that's the but it has to sort of be mapped out beforehand and you got to start calling you know warning and then points or whatever it is till you get back on the court but yeah uh, it's been the whole summer Sissipas has used it a little bit there was one set in Toronto where he won the first set in about 20 minutes a 6-1 set and then went off still and took 10 minutes yeah. and he seems oblivious to the fact that I mean obviously he must know now people start booing him all of a sudden he Sissipas is the villain you know I'm always searching for villains yeah um He's turned himself into the villain, sort of. And it's not easy to get out of that once you're that. So so it's an interesting problem. It's sort of been going on, it seems, more in the women's game over the last bunch of years. But now Sissipas has sort of started it a little bit in the men's game. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's a, that's a good uh, remedy of the situation. And uh, we just know through sports, right, that athletes are going to take advantage of whatever they can. Like, I don't even, I mean, I don't agree with what Sissipas is doing, but athletes are going to are going to figure out a way to whether you call it games and or not get away with what they can get away with and until you set a hard time yeah, look, it's just going to keep I happening. can't say much I can't say much I did it a couple of times <laughs> okay I did it the first but it was by accident but it was remarkable how well it worked I mean I I was playing at the U.S. Open and it was one of those years in New York in the early it was first round it was very hot very humid I was up two sets of love but at three all in the third, I got broken in a very long game and I felt horrible. I was struggling to breathe a little bit and it was, I needed to get cooled down. So I didn't try those next two games to lose six, three. And I made it pretty obvious and decided, and I, because I didn't want to waste energy, I didn't think I'd break the guy I was playing against. He had a big serve. Didn't think I'd break him. So I thought I'll lose, I'll lose the next two games, lose six, three, not waste any energy, get into the, air condition, put some cold water, you know, get yeah. sort of cooled down and come back out. And I didn't think about him. I was just trying to get myself cooled off. So I did. I come back to play first game of the fourth. He's serving and he serves a horrific game and I break. And then he starts yelling at the umpire. I need to take a bathroom break now. And of course <laughs> me being me, I said, well, go great. I need the breath. And he goes, no, I don't need to go. Um, we ended up not not leaving, and I managed to hold out the, the that um, cramped in the last game. But my point is, I did that. You know, I, I it was gamesmanship in the end, kind of. I wasn't thinking about it towards him, but it did work. And I did it one other time in Washington D.C., another super hot place, and it came to my mind. I need to I need to get cooled down, and it worked that time too. So it does work if your opponent's serving to start the final set or a, a, another set and he's at the wait 10 minutes and he's thinking about it, this guy's going to the bathroom, his gamesmanship it's going to work so players are going to try to do it 
it's really amazing. I wasn't even asking for, you know, uh, I, I went into this podcast not even asking for a classic Jimmy Arias story, and I got one. <laughs> there you go. It just come out. I, it's I can't help myself. I love it. I love it. Uh, Jimmy Arias, thank you again for coming on Tennis Channel Inside In. Look forward to catching up with you uh, at our Santa Monica studios again soon. But thanks for coming on the show and dropping some more tennis knowledge. My pleasure. Be good. We'll talk to you soon. Always a blast talking tennis with Jimmy Arias and uh, hearing his stories are really a treat every time. He just has so many of them. But uh, it was a pleasure talking the U.S. Open, recapping it with the one and only Jimmy Arias. Now we're going to switch gears and talk to the commissioner of the Pro Pickleball Association, Connor Pardell. Connor oversees the PPA and the events, including the one that happened this past weekend in Orlando. It was broadcast on the Tennis Channel Airways for the first time. We talk about the sport itself. Pickleball is a growing phenomenon. It's getting more popular by the day. What to expect from this league going forward. Uh, Talk a little bit about the players in the league and what fans can expect on game day experience. It's a great conversation with the PPA's commissioner, Connor Pardell. Here it is now on Tennis Channel Insider. All right, last weekend, the Pro Pickleball Association was broadcast for the first time ever on the Tennis Channel Airwaves in their event from Orlando. It was a great event for a growing sport. And now joining me on Tennis Channel Inside In is the commissioner of the Pro Pickleball Association. It's Connor Pardo. Connor, thank you so much for joining us on Tennis Channel Inside In. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mitch. Really appreciate it. So I wanted to ask you a couple different things about what I've been calling and what I've been seeing is maybe the biggest sports phenomenon in the last couple of years, pickleball as a game. Uh, and I looked this up. I think it has origins that date back to the 60s, but you know, it's only been pro. Your association's only been around for a couple of years. The last three or four in particular have really been uh, huge for growth. And uh, I just wanted to ask you, where do you think that interest and that sudden level of excitement around the sport has come from in the last couple of years? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. The, the sport itself has been around for quite some time, but we've been seeing a huge boom the last, I would say, three to five years. And I think the big reason why um, we're seeing that boom is that pickleball is now being seen maybe in a different light than it was seen before. You know, before most of the time, maybe some of us had maybe played it in local PE or gym class in middle school or high school. But we're just seeing more and more courts being built, players, you know, transitioning to the game of pickleball. And um, really, it's, I think it's because the transition is so easy and it's so smooth. It's easier on your joints. It's easier on your body. And it's something that anyone can pick up and they can get pretty good at it really fast. But mm. at the same time, it also is very hard to master. So it's one of those things where you get on the court and you're like, man, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at this. I'm really enjoying it. But at the same time, there's so much you have to do to advance, to move to that next level of play, which makes it so rewarding because there's always something you can work on. Um, unlike the sport of tennis, you know, it takes years and years and years to be able to rally and really be able to go out and have a good time. You really can't go out and have a good time with someone that's never played tennis before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with pickleball, it's just, it's so easy and it's just such a smooth, a smooth game. So you grew up in, I believe Utah, right? And I, th- and I think that's where the sport uh, has its origins. A lot of it, a lot of the genesis from it has come from there. I'm someone from the Midwest, uh, Midwest East coast area. And I think honestly, like we hadn't really heard of the sport before the last couple of years. I think you might agree with this, that it's been slowly kind of building, but once it kind of opened up the eyes and the interest to people in other parts of the country, that's when it really took off. Because now, as you said, courts are being built everywhere, not just West Coast, but all across the country. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, the game was definitely a West Coast game, but, you know, we really saw a big pickup originally with 50, 50, the 50 older population. So places like the Villages in Southwest Florida, um, Arizona, Utah was a big place as well. Southern California, we've seen a lot of growth in the sport. And I think for us, you know, we would like to contribute the PPA also to a big reason why the sport's growing so rapidly, just being able to bring the sport and really professionalize it and put some professionalism around the sport, and, you know, really try to bring it to the light of the mainstream media. You know, it's our team's job to just continue to elevate the sport and continue to grow it. Um, we all love pickleball and we're just trying to do the best we can to just continue it along the progression that the path it's already on. So you're, and I'll transition to this, you're a pretty young guy. How, how does someone like yourself get involved with 
A, the PPA, which was just starting up when you were getting involved, but also being on the leadership side of it, the commissioner, being in charge of running an entire sports league and association, how does someone like yourself get involved in that? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. Approaching 30 here uh, shortly, so <laughs> yeah. still pretty young, but um, the way that we actually got involved in the sport is I actually used to manage uh, a senior living portfolio for the majority owners of the PPA tour. So they reached out to me. They knew that I played a lot of tennis before, you know, big sports person. And really they came to me with the idea of really professionalizing the the sport of pickleball. And so we spent some time going around to tournaments that were being held all over the country. There was a few players, maybe about five or so that considered themselves as true professionals where all they did was play pickleball tournaments. And really what happened is we, uh, just took those tournaments and took the things that we liked, you know, and also brought into a lot of, a lot of professionalism into the sport. And it's been really fun. You know, I feel yeah. really fortunate to be in the spot I am now. Yeah. I would think that one of the hardest challenges for starting a professional league, a, a new league for a sport that hadn't had one is um, deciphering between what the professional level is. You said, and it's true that there's so much interest at the recreational level. It's why the game has grown so much, but becoming a professional league, you have to figure out what's that pro level, how many good pros do we have, and then how do we, you know, rank and, and fill out events and whatnot. No, absolutely. And it's been a process. And I think it's still a learning curve as well, as we're just in year three of the PPA. What we tried to do when we tried to form the PPA is one, trying to uh, formalize, you know, what it meant to be a professional player, trying to make sure that we had enough pros inside the game already and try to grow organically outside um, moving forward. Obviously, that's still a process for us, only being in year three of the PPA Tour. Last year, we had a COVID year where we got slashed in half and only had about a fourth of our events that we have. So it's a process that we're continuing to evolutionize and we're trying to learn, um, you know, by bringing some mentors that have brought a lot of insight to me, people like Larry Scott, who used to work with the WTA and the ATP, um, and people, people that have been around the sports league, just trying to surround myself with people that maybe have been there before that could help us understand a little bit of what it means to be a professional sports league and trying to make sure we're growing the right way. I think it would be very easy to not necessarily take those right footsteps and build the right foundation, but it's really important for us to build the correct foundation just to continuing to build the league. Makes a lot of sense. And I know you mentioned last year being the COVID year for everybody. It was, it was rough for a lot of people, way bigger than sports. But I do think there's similarities between games like golf and tennis where pickleball, a lot of interest and a lot of growth actually happened because it was one of the sports that people could play in their spare times. Not at the professional level, of course, but you know, it was a great pandemic sport in a sense. No, it was great for the sport of pickleball, the pandemic. Um, it sounds a little silly to say that, but it was. Uh, obviously, a lot of our partners and people in the sport are pickleball manufacturers. Um, and those guys, I mean, they had record sales. They weren't able to keep pickleball nets on the shelves. Um, and so it was great to see the sport grow so quickly within that 12-month span. I know for me personally, um, we have a place in Southern California. And, you know, it seemed like nobody in the neighborhood really knew about pickleball. And we went to visit after the pandemic. And there was about 10 hmm. courts taped out in the middle of the street. And everybody was starting to play the game. And now you can't go there and not see somebody playing pickleball. So it's so it was so fun to watch the growth. Yeah, out in California, there's there's places with courts. And now it's impossible to get a time. It's it's booked solid. Growth's coming yeah. for sure. Uh, and getting back to the league, I wanted to, you know, get your get your thoughts and get your, you know, advice on this sort of thing as well. What's the game day experience like for like going to a professional pickleball event? The number of matches, how you make things easy and fun for the fans that might be curious, may, might not be the diehards that are curious about checking it out and try to have a good time as well. Yeah. One thing that is very important to us is that we want to have a professional experience from this time that you walk through the gates at our sites. So you'll walk in and the event, you know, Mitch, it, it really, it looks the part you'll walk in and you'll go, wow, this looks like a professional tennis event or a professional golf event. There's all sorts of great community vendors we bring in. We have all sorts of family games, meet and greet with the professional players. We've got a great Fila superstore to interact with our fans. But something that makes pickleball so unique compared to other professional sports is that we actually run an amateur tournament coinciding with our professional tournament. So for instance, this tournament that we just barely held in Orlando last week that you guys covered, which was amazing by the way, 
um, we actually had 1,500 players participating over a four-day period. Wow. So we had 50 pickleball courts <laughs> going, man. So out of those 50 courts, we had eight of those that were reserved just for professional play. One of our slogans is play where the pros play. So if you're a beginner, if you're a 3-0 player, a 3-5 player, a 4-0 player, there's a section of the venue that's off for you guys. You can go and play your events. And then, hey, stick around, have a beer, enjoy the atmosphere, and watch the best players in the world like Ben Johns, Tyson McGuffin, and Anna Lee Waters play. So it really is. It's yeah. a fun party-like atmosphere. And that's a great that's a great way to put it. And in a sense, too, this is a new sport league, new event. This might sound crazy to people of other sports, but this is growth, and this is the way you're going to do it. And I noticed on the website it's all promoting, you know, we have packages for hotels. We're going to make it easy. This is the event. It's all spread out like, you know, we're growing, and we want more and more people. Um, I think it's good. And you mentioned the tennis side of things, kind of how it coincides a little bit. Uh, the model for not only what you were just saying, the rankings, the three, five, four, which a lot of rec league players will know based on their ranking, but at the pro level, your events are, are modeled after that as well. There's majors, there's thousand level events, 500 down to 250. Was that always part of the plan to just keep the scoring system and the ranking system similar to something that maybe other sports fans can identify with? Yeah, I mean, a big thing for us is looking at other individual sports such as golf and tennis and bowling. And the big thing for us is why try to fix something or do something different if something's already working. And that's exactly what we did. We took our 20 events that we hold all throughout. Um, right now it's in the U.S. We're going to be expanding down into Mexico and one actually um, in Toronto where they hold the uh, Rogers Cup in Toronto. We actually partnered with Tennis Canada on that event. Um, but yeah, we structured it the same way. We have our five majors, our five PPA 1000s, our five PPA 500s, and our five PPA 250s. One, it's something that's very like familiar for sports fans. And two, it's a good way for us to be able to rank the pros and really be able to analyze and understand who the best players in the world really are. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Connor Pardo here on Tennis Channel Inside and I'm glad you brought up specifically how the rankings work and the tennis connection. I think what's fascinating, what's also going to probably help you guys is the fact that you're positioning yourself as a unique sport. It's different, but you do have that common ground with tennis. It's not quote unquote a competitor. It's something that people can do both of and you can have fun with both while also understanding how different they can be. Yeah, no, exactly. I like to say it almost like we went, we went and we met with Mike Douse, who probably most of your listeners know. And he said the way he sees it is kind of like skiing and snowboarding. Mm -hmm. We can all share the same mountain. We can all enjoy it. We can all get out and really enjoy what we're doing. And we're the exact same way. I mean, most of our events, we're going to high level tennis centers like the Linder Family Tennis Center where they hold Western Southern or um, Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. And we're going to a lot of tennis venues and we really embrace tennis players and what they're doing. And we just also think this is a great and awesome sport that you can also do in your free time. Yeah. The ease, the, uh, the lack of, uh, you know, toughness on your joints, especially as you get older, that's, that's going to be a huge <laughs> thing going forward. Um, and, and looking at the current crop of players are some unbelievably talented ones. I think it's safe to say at the infancy stage of, of professional pickleball, a lot of them are coming from that tennis background. Is that something that you think will continue to happen or as we get, generations in as hopefully pickleball keeps booming that they're going to be some homegrown pickleball exclusive players yeah i think that's a great question the answer that i have right now at least where pickleball is right now i think a lot you're going to see a lot of people transitioning over to the sport you know we're seeing a lot of eight former atp guys that couldn't quite crack that top 100 people you know 100 to 200 people like deckel bar and they're coming in and they're having immediate success in the ppa I think we're going to see a lot more of that before we see the the homegrown grassroots, just because I think it's such an easy transition for people to come over and play. If you take a look at some of the top professionals in the world that we have right now, aside from Ben Johns, um, who's the number one player right now on tour, everybody else, you know, they've played collegiate tennis. You take a look at Matt Wright, you know, he played four years at the University of Michigan, played some ATP stuff. You take a look at like Simone Jarjim, played a lot of uh, college tennis. Catherine Parentau, all these players, they come from that tennis background. 
And it's just a lot of the same movements, a lot of the same lateral movements. And I'm particularly seeing a lot of success for people that are high level doubles players. Um, just the way that you move with your partner, those volleys that you have up at the net, it transitions quite well. Um, I'm actually really excited because Jack Sock is actually going to be coming out and we gave him a wild card to play in our PPA mm. Masters event in La Quinta later yeah. this year. So it worked out great because it's right before the World Team Tennis, the WTT. So he's going to come out and uh, slug it out at La Quinta in Palm Springs. So we're excited about that. Might be the best doubles player in the world too. That's a that's a big, uh, big signing there. I, and I do think it's great. I think just having some experience with a racket in your hands, doubles when the court size is a little smaller for sure. Uh, can can matter there. You mentioned a couple of your players. I know Ben Ben Johns and Matt Wright won the doubles title in Orlando that was on our airwaves last week. Now, Johns is 22 years old. Do I have that right? He's 22. He's already got about 33 titles. So this is Correct. probably the I don't, probably the star. I don't want to say face, but probably the star so far right now in this league. And uh, looking at him and what his game is and also the model for going forward, do you think do you ever think about the fact that you might need some stars or is it just the quality of play throughout the board that's going to lift interest here? Uh, no, for us, obviously having a star and having stars and faces to the league are very important. A big thing, obviously, be behind us and the PPA and what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a platform where these professional levels can showcase, these professional players can showcase their skills, build their brands. And we're starting to see that in the sport right now. More and more people are starting to understand, especially rec players and people that don't even play pickleball are starting to recognize who these players are. You know, the Tyson McGuffins of the world, Ben Johns and these players. And that's very important for us. And, you know, we can't, we can't say enough about Ben. He is a true professional and he's a true ambassador to the game. And we're lucky to have him on tour. I think he's going to be there for a long time. Yeah, and I like the fact that his, his doubles partner, Wright, is over 40. So you have a little bit of a contrast there with decades. And also... Um, if you're looking for storylines here, I mean, the uh, mother-daughter doubles team as well. I didn't realize Ann Lee Waters was 14 years old. I thought that was a typo and someone was lying with me, but 14 <laughs> years old and, and still just already a star in the making. Uh, she uh, stole the tennis channel, uh, <laughs> the tennis channel spotlight, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, she was able to capture her second singles title on PPA Tour, and she played great, beating Leah Jansen in uh, three games. And then her and her mom actually captured their first PPA title as well, taking down the number one and two ranked players in the world in Simone Jarjim and Lucy Kovalova. And I mean, yeah, you look at Anna Lee and you go, there's no way this girl's 14. I mean, she's composed. Mm -hmm. She's just as composed off the court as well. You talk to her and you think you're talking to an 18 year old and the way that she sees the game is very, very impressive. I was chatting with her actually in Orlando after she won and she said, she hit me on the arm and she said, Connor, just remember, in eight years, I'm still going to be younger than Ben Johns is now. And I thought that was crazy, right? But it's amazing. It's fun to see her out there doing yeah. what she's doing at such a young age. Yeah, that's perspective for sure. Glad to see she can have that after a big win. Um, and you mentioned the event was on Tennis Channel. You've been ramping up coverage not on this network, but on other ones, on other social channels as well. How important has that been to growing the game, especially the social side of just getting the word out in a new era where it seems like most people consume their news that way? Yeah, it's very important to us and something that we're continuing to, to work at. Um, obviously, working with Adam Friedman, that was really big for us, for him to be able to look at the sport. And he uh, was essential for us to be able to get it on such a, a great platform such as Tennis Channel. That was the, the first time ever that Pickleball had been broadcast like that on a live station. Obviously, we we've, we've, uh, have other contractual commitments with other networks moving forward. But this was really the first time showcasing that. And um, I think it's monumental for Tennis Channel to be able to pick up a sport like pickleball. I know it, Adam reached out to me and he said, this is the very first time we've broadcast an event live that actually wasn't tennis. Um, so what a, what a big step for the sport and kudos to Tennis Channel for being able to really showcase some of the best players and showcase the product of pickleball. I know the pickleball, the pickleball world really appreciates it. And I know the, the biggest news outside of that is that big partnership with Legacy Sports. I think it starts next year. You got Mesa, Arizona, five years. And uh, that new sports park they have out there is pretty cool. And the, the coolest thing for your perspective is going to be they're building courts. Like this isn't just to showcase events. They're going to make pickleball a big part of what they plan to do. How important is that? Oh, I mean, it's very important. I mean, we're so happy to see someone like Legacy where they're building a whole sports complex, really understand the impact of pickleball and them building 50 dedicated courts, I mean, that's big to us. Right now, you know, we're doing a lot of resurfacing, a lot of changing of courts, 
but you know, I know more people have plans to make permanent, you know, tennis venue or pickleball venues. And that's very important to us and the, just the evolution and the growth of the sport. So kudos to legacy for being first movers on that. So you guys got 20 events coming up, uh, 13 States. You're actually going to Canada as well, which is, uh, which is good. What are the exciting things you're looking forward to on the tour coming up this year? Yeah. I mean, obviously for us, we're just excited to get a little bit bigger and a little bit better with every event. We're still so young and so new. You know, that's our motto on our team. Just get a little bit bigger, get a little bit better after every event. Cause we're able to, we're able to take in so much information and take the things that are working well and maybe the things that aren't working well, you know, getting that pro player feedback and just trying to elevate the experience for everybody. I know for us, we're just excited to just be along on this ride of the pickleball wave and watching the sport grow, watching it continuing to become more of a mainstream sport and having the professionalism and the stardom of our athletes continue to grow. And we just feel fortunate to be a conduit and be part of that growth. Well, Connor Pardo, thank you so much for joining Tennis Channel Insight and really appreciate you coming on. That's the commissioner of the Professional Pickleball Association. Thanks again for joining and best of luck with everything. You're in the driver's seat for kind of a new <laughs> movement. So best of luck going forward and uh, we're happy you joined us here today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mitch. That's it for this week's show. Thanks again to Jimmy Arias and the Pro Pickleball Association's Commissioner Connor Pardo for being guests on this week's show. A reminder that every episode of Tennis Channel Inside It is found on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We're on all your platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple, and go to tennis.com for a full listing of this show as well as the catalog of other podcasts. We'll be back next week to talk more tennis with the Laver Cup Indian Wells on the horizon as well as interviews with some of your favorite players in the game. I'm Mitch Michaels, and this was Tennis Channel Inside In. We will see you next week.